0: From the Journeys of Belonging to Blackness Digital Media Project, I'm India Lorik Wilmot, and you're listening to the podcast, Talking Journeys of Belonging to Blackness. Thank you for tuning into part two of my conversation with Alicia Annabel Santos La Centera. In this episode, we'll continue to have a conversation about what it means to stand in the fullness of our Blackness. Alicia will speak to the ways in which her spiritual practice is connected to her writing and her community-based work. Now let's get into it. And I love the fact that, you know, when you're curating these spaces for folks to, you know, come into their own and embrace their own aspects of their identity through their writing. You're doing this with young people and the elderly. Not that it's easy, but, you know, with young people, it's one thing because they're, they're malleable and they're just open. I, I probably find it just even more intriguing when you're working with an elderly population because you might even have some people who they don't even embrace the fact that they are just these natural griots <laughs> and that they just probably, oh, yeah, I just tell my story but we understand how important it is for our elders in the community to formally document their stories because once they pass on that's it we got to like make sure we can capture some of this history and capture the stories and have people tell their stories or you know even if they're telling fiction you know that there is a lot of reality in that story that's mm-hmm. contextual and that's rich that's telling something about a particular moment in time that if no one documents this It's lost to the ages.
1: I am so of everything that I have done and everything that I'm doing. What I am most proud of is my work with the elderly, my work with senior citizens. I am so proud of that work. I'm so proud. For the past four years, I've been able to like facilitate this space at like five different senior citizen centers, and they are, right? They are writers. They are my writers. (laughs) my senior citizen writers and the stories they have told me I have white women black women Asian women Latinx women like they are incredible I have this one woman who told the story of her mother arriving to the US in the 30s and she came by boat from Puerto Rico and when she arrived there were two lines two lines and one was for white folks and one was for colored. Mm. And she got in the white line and she was standing in that line and they were like, Oh, I'm sorry, miss, but you need to be in the color people line. These are the stories. These are the stories that I have the privilege of midwiring. This, this is the work that I'm doing. I'm helping to, to extract their stories and, and remind them that they come from amazing cultures, amazing people. Right now, we are actually writing, my senior citizens are writing children's books. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> Yesterday, because I, I wanted them, every season, I do a different theme so that we're writing something new. Mm-hmm. So like the first year, they wrote poetry and prose. The second year, they wrote a 10-minute play. We've written, we've written last year, I, did, I recorded oral history, so I did videos of them telling their story. And this year, we're writing children's stories to go to like hospitals and read them. Oh, that's so, sweet. It's gonna be beautiful. That's our end of year celebration. We're gonna. They they wrote two stories yesterday. One was, um, let's go to the movies. So an entire family. The theme was the themes were about compromise and choice and family and love. I love it because I'm bringing them. I'm bringing them joy. I'm bringing them joy. And I'd like to think that I'm helping them to see value in their life and purpose. Mm because I can't imagine what it is to arrive to you know, a certain age in your life where you feel like you have regrets or that you didn't live with purpose or you didn't. And so I like to bring, I like them to know that I think that they're super special and that even where they are, they have a story to tell. And if they can't write it, I'll write it for you. So like yesterday they were like, I'm not feeling it. I'm not really feeling like writing right now. And I'm like, I got you. Everyone give a line. So we wrote this story and everyone gave me a line. you know and we wrote it together and so I love it it's like it's the word I do a lot of things you're right India but that but the being with my seniors my elders I know it's what fuels me like it it reminds me like yo they gave everything for me to be here like all of them are my mother all of them are my father all of them are my grandmas and while I don't have you know living grandparents right now you know, I look to them for that counsel because they're always they're asking me about me and my foster baby and my daughter and my partner, and they're very much invested in my success too, buying my product line, you know, <laughs> my Santera baths, wanting readings because they also want readings.
0: <laughs> Act two, the road. So Alicia, tell us, what is your passion?
1: My passion is love. To be mm. love. to give love, to write love, to share love, to speak love, to walk in love, to honor love, to do everything that I do with love. And I'm excited because my road, like this passion, when I say love, is because I love that I'm a writer. I love that I'm a speaker. I love that I'm a mother. You know, they, everything that I, all of my identities I love, I fully embrace. I have no inner conflicts in my life at this point at 48 years old. I'm very grounded in that way. Mm-hmm. Like I, this is who I am. This is what I come with. This is what I bring. And I will be love. Not to say that there aren't days that I'm, that I'm not struggling or that things aren't hard. But my passion is that I know that I need to bring this love into what I'm doing. Otherwise, why am I doing it? Those days are done where I go to a job that does not bring me joy, that isn't fulfilling me, that isn't serving me, that isn't valuing me, that isn't growing me or expanding me. Those days are done. I get up every day and I do what I love. I do my recard of the day. I do my meditations. I'm uh, creating curriculum and fun fun activities for my seniors. Right now, I also, I also teach high school students. I'm doing essay writing for their college essays. So the day before yesterday, I read 17 college essays and I'm helping them to, I'm midwiving them. I'm helping them to develop their essays and show their best self and dig deeper. This weekend, I'm facilitating healing workshops for women of color Mm. and also my writing workshops. And so I do what I love, which is I'm a writer before I'm anything, right? Because that's the thing that I'm called to do. But now I've intersected everything that I am. I think I had a point in this journey where I thought I had to choose. I couldn't be a writer and spiritual. I couldn't be mm. spiritual and gay. I couldn't be gay and Black. It's really recent for me in the that I'm like, I don't have to have 25 blogs with all of my different identities in the work that I do. I'm one and it has all of it.
0: Right. You're the embodiment of that intersection.
1: A long time, bro. I thought I had to choose. Hmm. I thought I had to choose and I thought I needed to do so for the others, for what they would think, for this outside world. And that's never been that's never been even why I picked up the pen to begin with or identify as Black. I am saying this is who I am. This is how I'm showing up, like it or not, because I love it.
0: Well, you know, I think what's interesting is that this process for you is also reflective of just the external sort of messaging that we get. So even when you shared earlier around just, you know, whether it's in your community where there wasn't at the time a lexicon around Latin, Latinx, Latino, Latina, but the the social context was there's a dichotomy. It's either you're this or you're that. Like, and everything around us in society is oftentimes, and at least for a very long time, is always situated as a binary, but that you. Can't be both person whose family has ties to Latin America and Black and woman. It's almost like even when we talk about being, you know, whether some folks identify as being a feminist, a womanist, or what have you, it's always this kind of thing. Well, well, are you a woman first or are you a person who is of this kind of ethno-racial-cultural sort of background and it's almost like no I can be this that and so many other things or even when I think about Orgy Lord, and one of my favorite books by her is Zami my new name because she talks about just traversing you know I mean of course it didn't really exist in this framework of the LGBTQ plus community right so for her it was almost like even to say I'm lesbian was huge and then her going into those spaces and she's like yeah I'm lesbian but I'm black and then they're like what and she's like I'm both of these things because even in the community of being a lesbian I remember the book she's like I, there's even a hierarchy and a binary embedded in this. And maybe it's just really the the product of just when you get on the other side of 40, that you, you kind of come into your own where you're like, oh, I can be all of these things and I don't need to kind of engage in this binary because I don't choose what circumstance I'm going to be perceived as a woman, a person who's of African descent, a person who might be, you know polyamorous or what have you, right? I'm all these things when I show up.
1: Right, that's how I feel. I feel like right now I am in the most, I feel most whole. Most whole um, in my art, in my craft, in my work. I'm proud of it, I'm proud of all of it. Like so when we ask the question, what's your passion? I'm a writer first and the reason I'm a writer is because I know that I was born to write and document and preserve our stories. Our stories, a black woman's story, my mother's stories, my great grandmother's stories, my great great grandmother's stories, and in addition to that, heal those stories. So there's a writing it, there's a healing it, there's a preserving it, um, and I have a responsibility to do that, and I'm very passionate about it.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I'm
1: also writing, in addition to my 25 roles that I have in terms of jobs, I'm working on a historical fiction novel, you know, about. Um, during the, during the time of Trujillo with, you know, a Haitian protagonist and a Dominican protagonist, two women who fall in love during the time of the Parsley Massacre. Mm. And so that's important to me, you know? So when we talk about what are you passionate about in the moment right now, I'm very present in the work that I do, but, in my ear i'm like you know you have these stories that you are you are called to write so yeah. once your life slows down a little bit let's get to the page because that's that's the tr- like the real reason i have lots of reasons for being here but i there are some stories that i must write
0: how does your spiritual practice play a role in your writing
1: last year i needed every bit of spirit spiritual practice and ritual and belief that i could muster because i was in the process of losing my brother he was dying of cancer stage 4 and I wanted so badly for him to read something that I had written before him leaving this earth. And so I needed spirit to really guide my hands and to give me all of the words and that that it not be perfect, that it be enough for him to see it. And I wrote an Orisha series, a book about a book series, seven books about the orishas. I set it in the Bronx, Hunt's Point, a boy named Antonio, and in each book he meets an Orisha. In each book, he needs an orisha, and there's a life lesson. And I wrote them in two weeks, seven books, seven children's books. I just, from one book to the next book, to the next book, to the next book, to the next book. And so that was spirit, right? So I rely on my faith to, to give me the courage and strength and stamina and endurance, call on my spiritual practice for those things. So when I'm kneeling in front of my altar and I'm talking to my baba wound I'm saying okay we're going to work I need you I need you to I need you to work through me to give me the strength that I don't have right now because my brother is dying and a I- a part of me is dying. And so I need I need strength. And so my faith is everything that I am. I always say that my strength is everything that I am. Without my strength, I would be nothing. Without my, my faith, I would be nothing. And so I wrote those books and my brother got to read them. And he was so proud and he laughed and he thought they were so cute and so sweet. Right after I wrote the books, I went on to work on parsley because I had rented a house for a month. And I found myself speaking French, speaking Patois. <laughs> and like all of this Haitian voodoo coming through me in the writing of it and so when you allow spirit in it's taking you on a journey you're gone I was outside of myself Mm. because I was listening I was lost I was in a trance Hmm. I was in a zombie trance and my fingers were moving and this character was spitting poetry in patois I was like word let's do it (laughs) let's go and so spirituality is a very big part of my practice as a writer. Cause I also, I also know that writing for me is like prayer. Wow. That's so it, powerful. It is easy for me to have these podcasts in the card of the day. And, and you, 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 and I have a relationship outside of our art world, you know, It's easy for me because spirit is always with me. I'm always inviting spirit in like, go ahead, say what you want to say. I'm ready. I know I'm a vessel.
0: Well, I'm not surprised by that, right? Because even when you think about spiritual work, there's a kind of midwifery or care that happens even in that. And so for you to be sort of dubbed by many as a writing midwife, and then you're engaged in a spiritual practice that allows you to sort of midwife others through your consultancy, I mean, there's something that's very connective about you. There's something about you that's allowing you to kind of engage in this care work across these different modes, whether it's through the writing for yourself and ushering others, and then for you sort of um, being the conduit to sort of a spiritual practice for others. That requires a lot, and I think it's even deeper than the fact that I think that you are an empath, right? So, and and which is probably why people are attracted to you and your messages resonate. You know, one of the things that I'm curious about, and I think it's per- perhaps even reflective of just culture and Black culture generally. But for you to even identify yourself as a Santera, I think it's interesting because for me I'm a I'm I self-identify as Christian. I grew up Catholic. But there's something about the fact that like me personally, I make a divide. There's a division between my spiritual beliefs and my relationship with God versus organized religion. And for me I I sort of make the distinction because I think about the fact that there's something about faith. There's something about being accountable to a higher spirit and a realm that is greater than you. That regardless of what sort of denomination one might be, if you look at all the world's religion, there's there are those same common elements that are across the board. Versus religion... For me, and this is so controversial to even put out forth on a podcast, but for me, religion is when you get into these other kind of man-made doctrines about don't wear your hair down, don't wear earrings, don't wear this, don't do that. And so when I think about being a person who's of African descent, knowing that Christianity is something that was brought to the continent from outside, and that when I think about our presence on this side of the hemisphere, yeah, I'm engaging in particular practices because I do find it spiritually rewarding and fulfilling. But these are religions that aren't germane to us as as African descended people. So, when we talk about pulling tenants of Yoruba and evil traditions, and for someone to self identify like yourself as a Santero, people are like, What? That's that like voodoo Santeria stuff where people are possessed and that is evil. And it's all these other kinds of things. And yeah. so, as a writer, how does one reconcile that when some of the things that you're even engaging in as part of your spiritual practice is is African and not necessarily representative of our colonial histories in these places?
1: Now, now you're talking about how how do we reprogram? How do we stop drinking the Kool-Aid? Because we have inherited religious practices and faiths that aren't are ours. So for me to be a santera to choose santeria to choose la regla de ocha the rules of ocha ifa lucumi, as my religious belief and practice is about and it's not saying that I don't it's not me saying that I'm not catholic I'm not saying that I'm not catholic Speak on that I was born catholic I've received all of my sacraments baptism communion confirmation my daughter did as well and the truth of the matter is that it was when i came out as a lesbian that i started to that i realized there's no place for me in the catholic religion there's no place for me to come as i am because i'm told that i'm going to hell so this god doesn't love me so i had to make a decision that i don't believe you i don't believe you i don't believe you anymore i don't trust you as a source as a i don't i don't believe you as this religion that cares for me and people like me who walk in the world the way i do and santeria for me was very much connected to my african roots was me saying no to this yes to this this Mm. feels more true this feels more connected to my ancestors, because for me, Santeria is really about not honoring just these orisha, but it's honoring our dead. It's connected to the earth. So those elements feel more true. That religious practice feels more true. Not that there aren't rules, not, not that there isn't problems with Santeria, because I have major problems with Santeria and being a woman who is very feminine and masculine all at the same time, how i move in the world. There are things that I have a lot of questions about with Santeria. You know, for example, you're told that you shouldn't service your your santos or touch your santos when you're bleeding, when you're on your cycle, when you have your period. I've got a lot of problems around that because I'm like, what are you trying to say? That my right. feminine power and my feminine energy is in conflict with. When we gave birth to all of y'all, like I have, <laughs> I have questions and issues, you know, the feminist in me. Right. So one of the things that I have had to do is dismantle old beliefs that do not serve. Mm. So it's always about making a choice. Not that I'm not Catholic, because I have a boveda. I have an altar to, for my dead, for my muertos, for my agun, that in theory is very Catholic, because there are Catholic saints. There's a cross of Jesus Christ, and then there's St. Lazarus, and I have the Virgin of Regla, and then I have um, our Virgin of Charity, La, La Caridad del Cobre. And I have a lot of different, like St. Teresa and La Virgen de Candelaria, but they all represent an orisha. Mm. Because when we talk about syncretism and how Africans preserved their religious beliefs here in the U S they took the, the Catholic saint that they were being asked to worship and they made it their African God. Right. Which was brilliant. And so St. Barbara is Changol. And so while I still have these Catholic symbols in my home, they're still also African.
0: See that, see, that's deep. And I love that. And I'm glad that we're sort of carving out space to talk about that because mm-hmm. You know, when, when one really takes time to understand, you know, whether it's throughout the Caribbean and Latin America, or even in the U.S., the resiliency of African descendants and the ways in which they use the tools of the oppressor, which in many regards is religion, right? So you had the, in the U.S., the the, the slave book where it had all, like the slave Bible, where it had all these rules specifically for the slaves to believe in, rules around, well, It's God's belief that you're to obey your master and your master can do no wrong. And then if you do anything against your master, then you are going, you know, you're sinning and you're going to go to hell. I mean, rules around that. But then the ways in which even in the U.S. people have used even parts of the religion, infuse their own stuff. Decided to create drums For music and worship And then sort of, you know, when you think about it It's an amalgamation of what they're Learning and what they have access to Here in the United States and then what They're sort of drawing upon but no one's really Calling it that, you know, or Even like to your point where the Santos, the the saints in Catholicism, yeah, it's no mistake That you, you know, maybe in front of The overseer on the plantation You're calling it, oh, that's Mary of Magdalene of whatever whatever but then everyone's like yeah yeah shush, shush, that is the orisha of such and such but we're gonna kind of keep it <laughs> we're not we're not, we not going to tell we're not going to tell john john the slaver over there what we're doing i think what's what is unfortunate is the hollywoodization of african culture and including like african religious practice or african spirituality and i'm blanking on the name of the movie but i think it came out in the sometime in the early to mid eighties where something happened, but it took them down to like either Dominican Republic or Haiti. Mm-hmm. And they had this whole thing where it was like some devil worshiping kind of thing. Everyone's dressed in white and it's around this fire and they slit the throat of a goat. And I will tell you this as a kid, I was just like, holy smokes, like that's wrong like what are, they're drinking the blood of this animal it just seemed so paganistic that it's like no of course if you have a sort of like that is our first introduction or exposure to a particular practice around vo- vodan or voodoo then you're gonna be like that's wrong because it was framed as something wrong and, and evil and evil and animalistic but I, am, I employ an academic lens to it, but I'm like, like no one can see me, but it's just like, I got this black beret on and like my fist <laughs> up. <laughs> like it's all about with the white supremacy and it's about telling us that our stuff is wrong. And, you know, but it's this interesting conflict that we have in our culture as African descendant people that we're told that this is bad. So therefore it must be bad. Attention. I
1: think as a writer, for me, that's one of the most important parts of my work to like dispel the myth that like Voodoo is this satanic, devil worshipping religion, when in fact Voodoo is a very beautiful um, religion rooted in science actually, and symbolism. There's a lot of symbolism um, in the rituals, in the vèves, in the loas, in the meaning, and how they are worshipped, and why they are worshipped, and and that it's very much grounded in um in faith, right, in self improvement, in wanting harmony wanting to have a good life voodoo is a beautiful beautiful religion you know and people when they hear voodoo they think it's some dark evil magic you know you blow a powder and you know you've you've killed somebody (laughs) hollywood hollywood has done a number on our spiritual practices and truly um, when I think about voodoo and santeria and 21 divisions and candomble and, you know, palo mayombe, is that, you know, people have turned to these African re- religions, rituals, and practices to save themselves. It's about saving ourselves, it's about strengthening ourselves, it's about strengthening our communities, our, you know, it's about preserving our history also, you know. What has what has the colonizer done to us? They, they took our language from us. They took our history from us. They took our religion. They took our food from us. And in doing that, they tried to strip us of who we are. Right. And so those of us who are Santeras, like myself, and voodoo priests, mambos, you know, we're saying, no, 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 we're holding on to this. And we're going to pass this forward and we're going to teach this, you know. And so I know that that's another element of, like, my work here on earth is to rewrite those narratives, like, wait, that's not true. Mm-hmm. Don't believe what you watch on TV or that you what you found on Google. <laughs> discernment. Let's practice some discernment, everybody.
0: <laughs> not believe everything that's on the internet. <laughs> Let's, not. Let's not. You know, what are some lessons that you've learned along the way so far? I mean, are there particular failures? Or opportunities that you experienced that allowed you to turn things around.
1: That's a that's a beautiful question because uh, today the card of the day is power. That was the post today on my Instagram or YouTube. And what I'm I'm thinking about all of the ways in which I have felt powerless and disempowered, and have worked with people or for people who have abused their power. There's been a lot of power struggles in my in this journey, and so. I think the greatest lesson that I am learning right now is that I, Alicia, I possess a lot of power. There's power in my words. I think it was Maya, Angela, or Toni Morrison who said that words, you know, they stay on the fabric of of everything of your, of your house. The words that you say, they're in your curtains, they're on your sheets, they're in your furniture, they're on your walls. And so words are powerful. Mm. The words we say, how we speak to people, the words that we write, they have the power to affect change, to have someone agree or disagree, to challenge, to to love, to destroy. And so I'm learning that I need to harness this power and truly use it for good works. Really be mindful of how I'm using the power that I possess and always mindful of not making people feel like I felt. So that's a huge lesson. Um, but at the same time, standing in that power and in that fierceness and in that, you know, we possess that power and it's ours. And we, it's taken us, I mean, we're talking about centuries of preserving power and not letting the master beat it out of us. Like, how do we hold on to this power and just continue to do good works?
0: And not to feel overwhelmed by sort of the trauma of the past.
1: Listen, how I, I all I keep thinking about is, wow. People are really threatened by us, by Black people.
0: Speak on it. What? (laughs)
1: People are threatened by the power of Black people. And, you know, my father and I were talking briefly because I was rushing to work yesterday. And I'm like, Bobby, but of course they deny us access. Of course, you know, he was talking to me about. He read something or heard a conversation. He's like, "Do you know, daughter, that the left and the right are equally as idiotic?" <laughs> he's like, "You have the left and the right," and, and he's having this conversation about you know the political climate and 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 ignorance and racism and how people you know why they don't want black folks to vote. They don't want us to vote. They don't want us to vote. I'm like, "Papi, do you understand that if we exert our power, then they feel like they, it's like in the Dominican Republic." believing that haiti wants to invade the dominican republic right right it's It's so sad but it's just like it's so sad and laughable because it's like to go from one poor side of the island to the other poor side of the island but the truth of the matter is that people are afraid of our power they're afraid of what we could do with our power and what they fail to see is that our power is fucking rooted in love yeah it always has been. It has never been rooted in we want to take from you and strip you of anything. We just want what's ours. We want to keep and maintain what's ours Right. as Black people. That's it. No more, no less. We want you to respect us, to see us, to acknowledge us. And we don't want to beg for it. I love that more of us, more of us, more those of us who are standing in the fullness of our Blackness, of our cultures, of our roots, and we're owning it and we're walking in it, whether it's dressing a certain way, wearing our hair a certain way, all of those, all of that is powerful. Right. You know, when you see a woman wear her locks or, or, or wrap her head, all of that is powerful. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to more and more of that. Act
0: three, where we land. Alicia, Alicia, Alicia. So what are you most excited about personally and professionally? You're so busy. You have so many different projects happening. One of which is, you know, you mentioned it earlier, the La Sentera spiritual consultancy um, in terms of like your most recent project. And there's a lot of other things that you're doing. So how's this all coming together for you?
1: I am most excited about taking 13 people to Cuba at the end of February. Cuba mm. 2020. It is the first trip with La Santera Tours under the company, La Santera Spiritual Consulting. I'm very proud of this work that I'm doing. I'm very proud of where I'm segueing in my life. I'm, I'm pivoting. Mm. I'm pivoting in a whole nother way in another a whole nother direction where I know that the teaching is going to stop. It's going to be different, a different kind of teaching. I'm being called to teach them, teach some spiritual things. And so I'm excited. I'm actually excited about taking black folks to Cuba. Wow. To black folks who speak Spanish. That's <laughs> what I'm excited about. I'm excited about this exchange, because there are people who have been asking me, you know, if there will be someone who speaks English, I'm going on, I'm going to go on all of the first few trips, because I definitely want to translate. And I know that a lot of people want to connect to their African religious tradition, period. They want to get more rooted in what's mine. And I love that I get to take them to Cuba, because it has been preserved, and was. Bo- Santaria was born in Matanzas, was mm-hmm. born in Cuba, and so I'm very excited about this. is very much an educational and spiritual trip. So I have already scholars who have written me that want to come. Wow! So I'm very excited about that exchange that they get to bring. You know, I have African Americans from here who are coming, who are like they're going to bring their knowledge, and they're going to have a lot of questions, and we are together going to exchange information. Um, in a way that they might not have access to here in the States in a way that feels honest and with integrity, you know, because I've handpicked all of the religious leaders that I trust that are part of my spiritual family in Cuba, that I'm like, these people know, they know Mm -hmm. some things and they're not practicing the religion for money either. So for me, that makes a huge difference. It's like, you want to sit with these people because they know what they're talking about and they're busy. They're booked and busy. They're booked and busy in Cuba. There, you know, while there is a struggle and economy is really complicated in Cuba, you know, these are people who are. This is they work. They're engineers. They're educators. They're actors. They're filmmakers. So they have. So this is them giving giving you their time to talk to you about some spiritual things that you have questions about. So I'm most excited about launching this business, and I decided this week. I talk a lot about, we have our ancestors, and we have a goon, and we have spirit guides. I am embracing that I'm a spirit guide on earth. I am here to connect people, to people, to get the answers that they are searching for. I don't pretend to be the end all, be all, scholar of, not yet, I will be, not yet. Um, but I know, I know the folks who do know, and I know how to ask a question. And so I'm excited about that. I'm excited about helping people to um, answer the questions that plague them. People want to be saved. They want to save themselves from the financial hardship that they're going to, from the poverty mindset that they might be struggling with, by the systematic oppression, racism, um, sexual abuse. Like we carry a lot of trauma, right? Trauma that we've inherited from generations. And then our own that we walk with. And so I'm really excited to be this, this person to help connect people, to live their best lives and find a way out. So I'm, ex- I'm very excited about that.
0: I think also the timeliness of, you know, the work that you're doing, the, the educational and spiritual trip to Cuba, because you are right. I do feel that there's also, we're in a space of folks yearning. And I'm, and, I, and I'm wondering if it's, you know, not to sort of link it to a very specific social movement like Black Lives Matter per se, but it seems as if like we are in a space kind of economically, social, politically, that not just here in the U.S., but globally African descended people, they are, you know, we, we might say colloquially like, oh, everybody's woke now or some people are woke, but there's something that's happening That's there that people are having this yearning of wanting to look to African-related traditions, whether it's through spirituality. And we see it in terms of, and I even think it's more than just a fad around how the women may wear their hair wrapped or with locks and this you know, or the social protests or the activist work that people are engaged in, right? And so, of course, it makes sense where people are like, I need to have my mind and my body right and I need to have my spirituality together. But we're looking to and we're looking back through the channels of time and connecting back to the continent in ways, that I think it's just very interesting. And even if, let's say, they're connecting back to the continent through the Caribbean and going to a place like Cuba, that's just like one of many different steps. And I think about that when I work on my other project, the book project, Journeys of Belonging to Blackness, because that's what I'm picking up when people are talking to me about just yeah, and they made they might have done like the DNA tests and come up with all these interesting you know, percentages, but it's really what people are doing with it. And people are connecting in the way that you're saying people are connecting. There's no mistake that you have what, 13 folks? Yeah. That's incredible.
1: It's amazing.
0: And when did you put out an ad for this? Like a month ago?
1: Like literally a month ago. <laughs> I, I have people like who are messaging me now, like I put already put in my vacation time, like I'm ready. And I have like another, uh, of uh, a friend, of our mutual friend of ours who's like, Oh no, I have speaking engagements. I'm about to take all that off my calendar right now. Right. There's something there because we're connecting to what's ours. We are, we are finally saying, okay, we've got to undo some things. This is no longer working. Their ideas of, of spiritual and religious pride does not serve us anymore. We need something that feels more genuine to who we are as the people. And it has everything to do with our ancestors. Mm -hmm. and remembering where we come from you know we can pay for all kinds of things and have all kinds of experiences and go you know we could go and 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 visit all of these sites that are ours we could go to ghana we could go to nigeria we could go to all of these rivers and have all the but how are we practicing on the daily when you talk about how do we walk in our blackness how do we that's even our spiritual practice and that's, for me, is, that's why I said religion is my entryway. The religion, spirituality is my entryway. It's my connection to, to all things Black. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I wouldn't change it for the world because look at where I am. Look at all that I have, all that I've accomplished. And that has everything to do with the work that my ancestors are doing through me and my santos and my ocha and all of that you know, and I'm very grateful for it. So I'm thrilled that I get to kind of be this person that guides folks and let let me connect you. Let me connect you to the people that I know that know. Let's go and together we're going to go to the Orisha Museum and we're going to go to have a Misa Spiritual and see which ancestors show up at this spiritual mass to speak to us and through us. And like, I'm providing this like service that's an experience. Like this is this is what it looks like. If you were to practice it in your daily, Mm. and it is easily accessible, hard because it's hard to find spiritual community. You know, people are very private, and because of what you were saying, that our religion Hollywood has made our religions, you know, so such taboo and evil that we're even afraid to delve into those religions because we believe what we've seen, and that isn't true. That's Mm. why I say, come out come see <laughs> come
0: well so see. for for folks our listeners who yeah. are interested and are like or just want to learn more um you know where can they find you reach out to you you know find out about your writer's workshops other work performances that you're doing and even to learn a little bit more about La Santera spiritual consultancy
1: lasantera.nyc www.lasantera.nyc on instagram Santera. On Instagram, La Santera Tours. That's where all the stuff is. But I'm easily accessible too, right? Just my name, Aliciana Ben Santos, and you could find everything. But yeah, you're right. Like I have an info session next Tuesday, where we're meeting at this really dope. Like it's called Bodega Pizza. We're gonna go and we're gonna talk, and I'm gonna a- answer all the questions about the trip for the people who are who want to come. I'm super excited.
0: I'm excited excited for you. And before we go, I think that it'd be nice um, if you could maybe share a couple of what I like to call audience takeaways that, you know, may inspire our listeners on their journeys.
1: My father, um, since I was young, instilled in me, si no sabes de donde vienes, como vas a saber para donde vas. If you don't know where you come from, how will you know where you're headed? And that to me um, is a mantra that I walk with because without it, I would not have come into the fullness of myself as a black woman. You know, it's connected to knowing my roots, studying, researching, uh, ask questions. And for those folks who are like, unsure about identifying as black because you feel like it's not your place. I think it's really important um, as we have this conversation and we're centering black people because that's the other thing. Like we have to be very mindful of the space that we take up as people of color, right? And as those who identify as Afro Latina and you are light skinned, it's very important that you're not taking up space, that you are centering black women black men in all of these debates and all of these conversations and ensuring that they're taking the lead acknowledging and recognizing your own privilege that's not to say that you don't have struggle or that you don't, you've experienced racism but you have this self-awareness of where you live in the conversation mm. you can be black but understand that your black and my black are different And so, and your struggle and my struggle are different for us to be able to have honest conversations about Blackness and belonging, right? Mm. But I say, come on in. I say, come on in and let's embrace who we are and let's be Black unapologetically and own it because we come from not just a rich and beautiful history, but we come from a legacy of warriors, spiritual warriors who um, have been battling for us. but hundreds and hundreds of years. So connect, connect to your spirit and know that even when you're not connected, you've never been abandoned and you're not alone.
0: Mm. Muchas
1: gracias, Alicia, Annabel Santos. Yo te amo. I love you. Thank you so much. This is absolutely beautiful. Thank you Aww. to all your listeners listening. Support India, Loric Wilmot's work. Please support <laughs> I appreciate your work. That um what you're doing is revolutionary and so important and it allows a platform for people to really to really own their stories and really share an experience that's that's personal I, I, ident- identity is such a touchy subject right yeah. and 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 this the conversation around blackness is very sensitive right now and is a huge hot topic like who gets to identify as black and people policing blackness and so this conversation is timely and important but I'm I'm with um, the movement that when we talk about being Black, we're embracing all of what it means to be Black. Right. So if you Black, Black, be about it. (laughs) really about it.
0: That's right. That's right. No, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you. And I appreciate the time that you spent telling us about your journey of belonging to Blackness.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: There you have it. The journey isn't over, but this episode is. Until next time,
1: peace.